Hey everyone, you're listening to Spark, where we amplify the voices of the Middle East startup, tech, and innovation ecosystem. I'm your host, Shireen, and along with our guests, we share with you expert insights on the latest and most relevant news. Our goal is to help you easily digest trending topics and be better equipped to know what to make of it all. The next seven episodes, including today's episode, are going to be pretty exciting. See, we've collaborated with 500 startups in the Middle East in order to bring you insights on some of their portfolio companies, what they're up to in terms of trying to solve some of the region's largest problem statements, how they've built their solutions, the visions for what's going on in the market, and so on. Kicking off the special with us in today's episode is Betty Yang, who's the managing partner and global operator at 500 Startups. Now, with Betty on today's episode, we discuss the MENA ecosystem and more importantly, how it's evolved over the last 10 years. I do hope you enjoyed this collaboration with 500 Startups. Please feel free to drop me a note with your thoughts once you're done listening. And now without further ado, let's jump to today's episode. Hey, good morning, Betty. Good evening. How are you? Doing very well. Very nice to meet you. I am a little starstruck. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> I know who you are from, you know, the world. Betty, I'd love to hear in your own words, all the way from SF, what is an outsider's view of the startup MENA ecosystem? Yeah, so I've been in Silicon Valley and working with 500 since 2010. And it's been really amazing, especially the past, I would say, two, three years to see the transformation of like the MENA ecosystem from all the way from like the evolution of the startup component and also from like the investor network and, and just overall sort of excitement piece. I think a good way to look at what's happening, it's sort of going really through like a, a tipping point because very often for you to like really get to that momentum, you need a lot of components coming in, right? It's not just like interest of capital. Sometimes it's not just having like enough startups, having enough interesting companies there. You need all those pieces in stakeholders, in the ecosystem to be coming. It's almost like a marketplace. Like you need both sides of like uh, the equation so that like you get momentum. So we're definitely seeing a lot of momentum in the region and quite excited. Started investing in the region already like uh, for quite a while, but like the past two years, we s- we've seen and, and continues to see that immense sort of transformation uh, that the region is going through. Absolutely. So you mentioned the last 10 years. I would like to share with you my point of view as someone who's lived in MENA. I was a aspiring entrepreneur back in, let's say, 2011, 2012. And back when I wanted to have my own startup, up, this support infrastructure that you mentioned was certainly not there. From the investor side, I remember back then the only VC that really existed was Oasis 500. The terms were really not favorable and the only option we had as founders was to basically inject our own capital. And if you're young, like me and my brother who who was my co-founder at the time were, uh, we kind of found ourselves needing one person had to keep their job to fund the business and it just did not make for a great startup environment. Fast forward 10 years later to where we are now in 2021, I feel like a founder can at pre-revenue go to a VC or an investor like an angel and say, please invest in me and my business and my vision. So I absolutely concur this momentum that you've observed externally from my internal MENA little view as well. 
Betty, now I know that 500 Startups invests, you guys have the Falcon Fund, but you also run programs and a support infrastructure to help these startups in your portfolio grow. Can you shed some light on how exactly you provide more than just funding support to the startups out here? Yeah. So I think funding, it's an important component, like you mentioned, right? You were talking a little bit of your journey on like fundraising, and now it has uh, become, the capital has taken a little more risk. <laughs> I think at the beginning, mm-hmm. there's definitely capital, but there's no risk to it. There's no like venture capital component itself. And now definitely that has evolved. So in addition to capital, we believe that there are two other very important components. One is the, the knowledge on building early stage um, startup, like how do you create that early momentum in the traction? How do you growth hack? Like that sort of first few customers so that you get momentum into it. So I think uh, one component is around knowledge. I think that knowledge very often is accumulated by doing it. You can have many people tell you like, this is the playbook, this is the best way to do it. But we believe like if we like during the program, for instance, like during the acceleration program, we can like invest and let the founders try that all themselves. And then of course, we bring in a lot of mentors to work with them. So it's really like creating the playbook. Plus it's a little bit like when you're going to the gym, right? You know, mm-hmm. like going for exercise is going to be really good. But if you have a personal trainer, you are a lot more disciplined. And then once <laughs> your muscles are built, it becomes easier to exercise those muscles, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think a big component is really that um, knowledge and network work at it. And then I think the third component that we're uh, really trying to also like unlock is the access to market. And I think there are several components of what it means. Mm. The access to market, let's say if the dream, I think you were talking a little bit about like Oasis 500, like let's say you're a founder from Jordan and then you say, all right, my next sort of dream market is Saudi. This case, hey, we want to find ways where we can open the market and the, and the third component and that open the market has a lot of sort of different nuance of what it means. It sometimes can make find a buyer uh, that can be uh, a corporate, it can be finding sort of ways to enter certain markets. And that can be just in the region. Or let's say if a founder feels like that they want to go international and that international can be Bay Area, that international can be Asia, that international can be Latin America. We feel like with 500 over the years, the past 10 years, we've been building like a global infrastructure and most of the time, the most helpful advice that we hear from founders, sometimes it's not someone who already built like a unicorn. That's like very inspiring, mm-hmm. but often it's a person that is in a similar space and just one step ahead. Because what has been done 10 years ago, or what has been done in a different sector, a different region is different from what you need. So we try to like really during the short period of time when we run acceleration program, how can we use those short period of time to accelerate your knowledge through, of course, the mentorship and access to markets where it's relevant for you to build out in a short period of time. Mm. Betty, I'd love to pick your brains on the governance that 500 has with its mentors. Do the mentors who give their time expect anything in return, like an advisory fee or share or stake in the company, or are they doing this purely pro bono? You know, um, we have on all different kinds of uh, mentors uh, where sometimes they come in because they want to contribute back to the community. They were founders themselves and, and they really benefited from like the growth of like the network and the ecosystem. So a lot of them sort of come back because of that. We also engage with a lot of our mentors or entrepreneur and residents that are staying with us for a long period of time. We actually tend to do 
paid engagement because one thing it's requesting one hour, another is requesting like weekly work or monthly work mm. over a certain period of time. So I think there is sort of this component. Sometimes people feel like you should be always contributing, but I think there is also like benefit on creating a, a commercial agreement over a period of time, whether it's through advisory or payment. Mm-hmm. So we, we do have those sort of two type of engagement uh, for a lot of the mentors that join 500, whether you want to do more like paid engagement or is it mm-hmm. more like you come in and then you engage with the community. But sometimes it's harder just to keep the engagement because often it's not like one time like you share that gold advice and that's going to transform someone's life, right? I feel like mentors sometimes need to get to know the founders and the companies the founders are running in order to give that kind of golden nugget. Exactly. Right. It's not like a one time and then you find a match and then the spark happens. Uh, Betty, question. Uh, Does 500 go and actively scout mentors or do you have countless applicants saying you guys have the best of the best in your portfolio? I'd love to work with them. Please take my time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So we have a dedicated team, actually. I think the first generation, of course, like a lot of people want to to be somehow associated with 500. So they will go like before they do anything, they first put into their LinkedIn. <laughs> They're 500 mentor. And I was like, I don't think we've ever worked together uh, in, in any of the things that we've done. To. So I think there is sort of a, a component where like that association, like they feel good about it or it, it's like a branding they want to be associated. So I think there's definitely like in the high demand for mentors. That's that's why I also like very rarely we publish like ERR positions or mentors position. Mm-hmm. There's definitely like a lot, a lot, a lot of sort of talent interest to join. But I think we also have a dedicated team because what's needed in different market is very different. The growth team that might be in San Francisco, they might go like more specialized. So you might have someone who like understands so deeply into like mobile advertising. But if you take that same mentors that is like super, super deep, and then you take into like an earlier ecosystem, that depth is not that helpful. They need foundation of growth. So like sometimes it's not super applicable market to market. Mm -hmm. And then it's good to also have local mentors built in because the need is different, right? Like sometimes it's just like we're saying it's more helpful or it's better to have someone who has just scaled from a seed to an A round in the region because they would understand the challenges Mm -hmm. than someone who has done a C to an A round like in the Bay Area, right? Like you can find the baseline where you can learn through But in your question on like the mentors, sometimes it's important for us to scout mentors that it's applicable to that group of founders that we are accelerating or that group of founders that will have very specific needs that it's not in the broader network. So we do have a lot of application, but I think as we think about region and sectors and like sort of market access, very often we need very like relevant mentors. Yeah, exactly. Relevant mentors that it's not like they're there or we haven't like qualified them in the right state. So Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of work to be done in the network of of the mentors, but I I think a lot of them appreciate joining because also 
they can learn, right? I think a lot of people mm-hmm. join because it's, there's nothing, I, and I'm, of course I'm super biased, but I think there's nothing more, more exciting than working with startup because you see so much sort of momentum and excitement and you see changes sort of throughout. For a lot of mentors also, it's a great sort of learning experience throughout. Absolutely. You know, I've actually, so I'm, I'm friends with a couple of founders who are 500 portfolio founders. And they said that when you all organize your retreats, that they receive fantastic content by amazing speakers who are super knowledgeable about their particular practice areas. So word, word has spread, Betty. <laughs> now, I have a question with regards to market access, because that's another area that you've touched upon. In areas that are heavily regulated, like fintech, healthcare, that are industries I know 500 invests in, do you ever face a struggle between the regulator allowing the startup to do what it is that they want to do? And then, you know, the founders kind of reach out to you saying, hey, can you please help us lobby and support? Do you ever face regulation as a challenge? Absolutely. I think that's one thing we try to do when we think about unlocking the market access. For instance, like with the program in uh, that we're running Sonable 500 on the ground, that's going to start actually this Sunday, like partially we've been working sort of quite closely with the uh, Ministry of Investment to see like, are there things that could be helpful as they do sort of market entry, right? I think from like a market entry to a regulatory conversation, I think that's a really far-fetched sort of path that we still need to sort of walk through. But I think more and more, the governments and the regulators are very eager to like really understand what's needed to build out a vibrant ecosystem. And sometimes if they put too much sort of policy that it's avoiding founders to come in and build together, then there's a distancing. And if certain sort of country doesn't do it, another is going to take it. So I think there's also increasingly competition among governments on we will make it a better sandbox or will make it easier for you to access. And I think that's a healthy component because then the founders can sort of test it out. And then the government can also benchmark a little bit how to be more open. I think saying like we can help you immediately to change entire regulation. I don't think that's feasible, but I think we can uh, start sort of moving the conversation and seeing if there are things that we can facilitate at least to have a channel because with the channel, the people that have a stake sit on the table to talk through the challenges with it. Right. So, Partially, when we think about ecosystem, we also work a lot with government uh, in different parts of the world um, to see if there are sort of dialogues and potentially even like board committee discussions that could be held to really facilitate the thriving of like the fintech and how tech environment that tends to be two of the most important areas. Right. I think fintech was always like really important sort of topic. And then with COVID and the pandemic, health, of course, was the center of the crisis and has become a high topic priority for a lot of the regulators throughout the world. Absolutely. No. So I know that with uh, the Sanabil accelerator that you guys are building, you play a role in the ecosystem above and beyond your own immediate investment agenda. So you would enable another entity to facilitate innovation on their behalf, which kind of leads me into discussing the other aspect, the more, let's say, enabling aspect of 500 in the region, which is working with corporations on their innovation needs. So how does that differ from investing in startups? I think the investment in startup, which is our really bread and butter, 
it's based on our sort of thesis on the growth area that doesn't have, for instance, a specific internal agenda, right? So for instance, when we're investing, it doesn't matter for us whether a corporate or a government feels like the future of the country's distraction or like the, the corporate innovation is, is into that area. Like when we look at it, we look at what are like the big areas where there's going to have massive transformation and can we invest in like the next generation of founders? And that's purely from a sort of thesis perspective and the conviction that we have into like investing in those companies. I think when you once you have a, like a potential stakeholder in the corporate innovation side or a potential stakeholders, like when we're working sometimes with different entities or, or, or like multilateral, sometimes it work. They might have like specific things they want to accomplish in five years, right? The, that thing they want, might want to accomplish can be job creation. It can be something that is really aligned to what we're doing, but our ultimate goal, it's not job creation. Job creation, it's a, a by, byproduct. Yeah, exactly. A mm-hmm. really successful company that's going to create like, all right, now you have a next generation of the talent that know how to do this and jobs that are created, right? So sometimes it's not conflicting. It's just like, so they might be looking for some KPIs that could be sort of different from what we look for. And very often it can be super, super aligned, right? For us, even like finding the partnership with it, it we need to always ensure like there's no conflict into like what we're looking for. And we've been uh, pretty grateful uh, for like the partnership that we have established with Sunable because they are also, I think, uh, foremost like an investment arm. So mm-hmm. for them, like it's very sort of natural fit to what we do. Does the Sanabo program focus on a particular industry or sub-industry? We're super, though we are really open to all tech. It doesn't uh, have to be even like, not all the companies needs to be like uh, in, in, in Saudi. I think a lot of people ask like, oh, do I have to like want to establish in Saudi? Like you don't have to want to establish in Saudi. We have also some flexibility mm. to write checks that are outside of the program. So it, it really like give us a lot of flexibility the vision to it is to build the best pipeline in the MENA region. That's the that's the vision. Most KSA programs these days are all about establishing KSA-based companies. So often, even if a founder applies from abroad, a caveat that I've often seen put forward is that they would need to either have a Saudi co-founder or at least set up a company in Saudi or so on and so forth. Betty, I've been told you guys have received hundreds of applications. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, are there any trending areas or sub areas areas within these applications? Yeah, so we just uh, finalized the selection process. So the acceptance, we've gotten over 500 application and the acceptance rate right now is around 2%. Wow, it's tougher than Harvard. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that's not always, like, it's like a same for school, right? But it's an apprenticeship mm-hmm. versus like you learn in theory. So and we're really excited about like the sort of funnel and the selection, even like the final selection when we held uh, the, the investment committee uh, last week. I joke uh, because there were like so many that we shortlisted. I, and I told the team, like, we survived the final decision without blood. Like, we did not have to kill <laughs> each other. Have you come across the word wasla in the region yet? Oh, wasla is a common term. It basically means connections. So the Middle East is all about pulling waslas, basically. No, no, we, we survived on like, Almost like, okay, this these are the companies that will come in. And then I think some of the trend area, at least in terms of application, 
And then the selection follows a similar area. We've seen a lot of e-commerce uh, companies. I think a lot of e-commerce companies like in the first generation, it used to be sort of specialty e-commerce or I'm going to build like, of course, like the super successful case, like the Souk. So you, you would have like the e-commerce at large. Now we're seeing more like enablers of e-commerce, like, like different components of e-commerce that are added in. So that's like the category we received the most application. And then this followed by fintech. We've seen a lot of fintech companies that sort of uh, came in. The interesting component is some of the really interesting companies actually in fintech has sort of come from Jordan because probably it's it's, it's a smaller market. It's easier to test out. Less so regulation too. There's less regulation. Yeah. So the question really is like, if you're super successful in one of those markets, can you expand? So we're also like trying to understand sort of those uh, nuances on the dynamic of the market. So that's another sort of, we've seen a lot of fintech and then uh, definitely seen very good sort of traction in some of the markets. And then uh, with those in Bahrain is another one, like we've seen, like, because they like build out the sandbox, they build out sort of in the GCC, a lot of components. And then the question is, how does that sort of expand? So we've seen a lot of fintech and then followed by health. So there will be many companies in the health space. How COVID inspired. <laughs> yeah, it can be like from very like diagnosis, like doctor driven all the way, which I think also very interesting, uh, which is more of like mental health, well-being. Mm. I also think like we've seen like interesting companies for like moms and babies. So it's interesting like, because it's a wide range, right? Like one can put it all into the category of health. But of course, like when it's like mom and babies is closer, even maybe to media or e-commerce versus like a platform that you take it to clinics or take it to hospital. Mm-hmm. But we've seen like all range of companies around that space. And then I think that those are the three main categories. And the fourth is a little bit more general, but like really exciting as well, which are some sectors that are building interesting sort of marketplaces. And those can be around like property. Those can be around lawyers. So that like, you know, that is creating a lot of momentum, like the technology is enabling a lot of sort of key sectors or key services throughout the region. And we've seen very, very interesting companies in, in terms of order of like application, it's uh, Egypt followed by KSA, followed by UAE, followed by Jordan. Like mm. that's the order of like founders that originally come from. So there are some sort of broad trends when we slice and dice the the sector plus where the founders are applying, whether that's like the entire universe of MENA region. No, I don't think so. But at least that's like a, a good data way for us to look at like what are some of the areas that founders are building startups. Yeah. I'm very surprised, Betty, you didn't mention EdTech because I know EdTech was very heavily disrupted last year. That's our fifth area, education and a little bit of future of work. Mm -hmm. We have those also in, and actually 500 invested in fuel that I'm, I'm, that's an area I'm actually really, really excited about. Like we invested in like different parts of the world, some really successful education uh, tech companies. We've seen them as well, but they will fall into the, I think in that order that I mentioned, right? Mm -hmm. E-commerce followed by FinTech, followed by house, followed by like the, the general marketplace that I mentioned, like because there's so many categories that falls into that, it becomes this like very general, difficult to categorize. And then definitely the fifth one is education slash 
HR. And there will be some companies coming in in the space of education as well. Stay tuned for the Sanabel demo day. <laughs> yeah. In, in two weeks or three, we probably will announce. Exciting, exciting. Betty, I'm going to be mindful of your time and respectful. Thank you very much. I had a very lovely chat with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your time. Don't forget to subscribe to future episodes on your podcast listening platform of choice. And whilst you're there, leave a review and rate our show so that other aspiring innovators can find it. To find a summary of our discussion today and links to our guests, access our show notes by visiting our website, sparkwithshireen.com. If you don't want to miss out on future announcements, subscribe to our newsletter or follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram at sparkwithshireen. Before you go, I'd like to let you know that we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, including guest or topic recommendations, drop us a message through our website or social platforms. If you didn't have a pen or paper handy to write all this down, don't worry. We've gone ahead and added all these links in the episode description. All you have to do is scroll down and click when you have a moment. As always, thank you for listening and see you next time.